Hi everyone, my name is Essen and you are listening to the Brown Hershey Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about ghost stories. And not just any ghost stories, we're specifically going to talk about South Asian ghost stories. And our guest today is Azania Imtihaz Katri Patel. Azania is a Rhodes Scholar in residence at the University of Oxford and ghost stories are a part of her research. She also wrote a very popular piece for the Brown Hershey Newsletter about how ghost stories migrate in and to urban India, which I highly recommend you check out. Also, if you're loving the podcast and the IG feed, then do consider being a patron. Your support truly matters. Thank you for listening. Shall we begin? Let's begin. Here we go. I think the best way to start this episode would be for you to tell me a story, a ghost story. Oh, I think one of my favorite ghost stories from the field work that I did is the story of a kabis. So a kabis is the sort of jinn, jinnat figure. So like a Muslim sort of uh, understanding of a scary spirit. And this is a kabis that roams around this hill. And what's interesting about it is that people would describe him as headless. And in my understanding, I always imagined it, you know, as like the sort of headless figure that we see as like this monster that has like gotten its head ripped off. But then someone was like, no, it just doesn't have a head. It has its eyes and its mouth on its chest and it smokes a cigarette from its stomach. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. And it also kind of made me think about how our ghost stories work a bit differently. Like we just have... I mean, I think a lot of us grow up reading the sort of, you know, Victorian literature or ghost stories. And we think when someone will say the word like headless ghost, you will think of the sort of, you know. Sleepy hollow. Yes, like a sleepy hollow sort of thing. Someone carrying their head and like riding a horse. But like for my informants, it was just like, no, that's that's not what we mean by headless. We, when we say it doesn't have a head, we mean that it never had a head, not that the head got cut off. And that was just this moment of me having to like really reconsider how I have always seen ghost stories and that there was, of course, a bit of like the Anglophone element to it. I mean, I went to like an English medium school. So the ghost stories that I grew up with were very much like from Britain and England. So when I started looking at ghost stories in India and it was just this whole sort of different world out there, like not only was it otherworldly, it was just a different world. So this is pretty a good segue for you to introduce yourself and your research, because I think from the diaspora, we all grew up with from the ghost stories of the West side of the world. But we are not really that familiar with the Eastern side of the world. I think we're no we know the the mainstream ghosts like gins and boots and, and all these things. But when it comes to these little local stories, we are we're not really aware of it. So why don't you just you know introduce yourself and, and talk about the research you've done? Sure. So hi, as we discussed, my name is Azania, and I am a Rhodes Scholar in Residence at the University of Oxford. And for the last three years, that's from like 2019, I have been researching the ghost stories and the paranormal narratives in India and in urban India specifically. So this just started with me going out to some sort of like slum housing sites and these sort of communities that have come up in the fringes of Mumbai and just being like, what are the ghost stories in this place? And this just became a project that become much bigger than myself. And now this is something that I really like enjoyed and like speaking to all these different people over the three years, talking about what their experiences have been with cities, with space, and of course, with this sort of element of what are the ghosts that haunt you and what are the things that we're scared of? 
has been such a learning experience. So that's what I do. I'm not a paranormal investigator. I mm-hmm. don't go out trying to find out whether something's haunted or not. I'm just interested in people's stories. So I would say that I'm someone who chases stories and those stories happen to be ghost stories. So but how do yeah. you how do you chase stories? You 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 go there, you wait for something to happen or you ask around. How does that work the research part of it? I think a lot of it is about just going and waiting, not for something to happen, but for someone to speak to you. So like, again, I will not say that, oh, I will not go there and be like, oh, I'm going to witness a haunting. That's that's not the business I'm in. There are people in that business and that's not mm. what I do. But so for example, one of the places that I visited was this very specific building in like the Western suburbs of Mumbai. And I just went there every day for like a week, would hang out with the children there and be like oh you know have you heard something and they would just like kind of start something and then they would take me to an adult who knew something better and then I just would end up in like someone's grandmom's house like drinking cold drinks and she telling me about like all these things from like three generations ago so it's very much building a conversation building a rapport I mean with COVID it's of course become a lot more difficult like I've been I've been in England pretty much for the last year plus so I haven't been able to go to any sort of like places but you know zoom is really helpful because like i spent like last summer talking to paranormal investigators from mumbai being like and from like delhi and being like okay has has things changed are people's stories changing with the pandemic and that was i mean it's not the same as listening to the story from someone who says they've experienced it but it's close enough it gets you like some sort of insight and then you can follow it up you said that you you focus on urban India. Why why specifically urban India? What is so special about that space? Uh, I think there's two things going on there. One that there is already the sense of you know rural folklore of India. That is something that has been documented. That is something that has a lot of these sort of studies going on, and that's what people expect you to study. You know, when you say whether you're studying like India or say even Pakistan or Bangladesh or any of the global South countries. People expect you to study the rural, to study that sort of, you know, what people would consider underdeveloped or things that haven't been industrialized yet. And, you know, it's easy for people to understand, oh, if it's a village where there are no industries, where there are very few schools, people will believe in ghosts. When you talk about a place like a city, you have this entire sort of literature that talks about how in cities, people should be more secular, people should be more believing, you know, in science quote-unquote people should be enlightened and so where do the ghosts come in from for me there is that sort of intersection of where in the city do we find pockets of our own histories and our own cultures and these are not and I mean I would not say that these are people you know who are not modern I would say that every like it like India and like urban India is extremely modern it's just a very different kind of modernity from the sort of modernity you would see in a London or a New York, but that doesn't mean it's not modern. So for me, it was that sort of like, I mean, as an academic, my work is about modernity and how do we understand modernity? So it's putting out that argument that just because this is different does not mean it's wrong. And in urban spaces, you have a lot of these sort of hierarchies and these sort of different kinds of oppressions in place and for me more often than not places that are haunted are often places that are places of deep suffering places where some sort of 
riots have happened, some sort of deep violence has happened, places where people have not had the chance to live the life they deserve with human dignity. The slum rehabilitation sites, brothels, places of just this like deep Hindu Muslim violence. So these become spaces that people remember as haunted. And very often it's a way of them remembering histories that they don't have the vocabulary for. So you're saying that ghost stories are a way, a way of telling your story without having having that ghost stories as a, as a form of way of uh, is a form an outlet for yes. for someone who suffered a certain kind of injustice and there's no way of there's no outlet for them so so it becomes a ghost story so so ghost stories aren't just a story of entertainment it's it's a lot more than that definitely for me i think like that has been the one theme that stayed common for like three years and like the three years that have involved like you know like slum rehabilitation sites just generally, you know, like doing these sort of ghost stories in like the cities or like with the pandemic. And I think that has remained constant that, you know, we have the privilege of ghost stories. And I'm not saying that ghost stories aren't entertaining for these people. They are definitely like everyone enjoys a ghost story. Mm-hmm. But they're also this way of expressing something that has not had space before. Like ghosts take up space. Ghosts take up space where you... <laughs> where you know something that should have like you know cycles that should have been completed weren't completed so whether you know that paranormal figure is real or not is not something that is so meaningful here but what's more meaningful is this sort of sense of incompleteness whether that's an incompleteness of justice whether that's an incompleteness of mourning whether it's an incompleteness of you know your own human experience and often in some places where you know you've had a lot of things go wrong or like a lot of people who like, so a lot of my, the people who told me stories have been working class individuals who like would live in like really dodgy accommodation, go back for the summer to the villages, which they consider their home. These people are asked about, you know, their sort of like, oh, how are your living conditions every third day by some sort of government survey? And it goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. So in many places, they've grown tired of talking about like, you know, how bad living conditions are. So these sort of like places, you know, where you talk to them about like ghost stories, which is just a sort of like common denominator. Everyone has some sort of story that especially like I think as South Asians, we've all had some aunt who's been haunted and some uncle who can see jinns and like, you know, someone's kid who was like touched by fairies. That sort of becomes a common denominator. You know, they feel that you're not coming to them from this sort of position of privilege being like, no, tell me about your suffering and I'm going to do something about it. Because they know you can't save them because nobody has in the last sort of decades of just this sort of unequal society. So I think that has been one of the more central arguments that my work has made, that ghost stories are a way of people reclaiming their agency. It is a way for them to be heard because people find it easier to listen to, you know, stories of ghosts than of actual things that have gone wrong. So it is definitely sort of opening up a dialogue, opening up this channel of conversation, which wouldn't happen otherwise. Now, now that I look back, I'm trying to think if there's ghost stories I've heard about about a rich white man angry or something, but I've never actually I don't think there are any stories of that or any movies I could think of. But could you give us examples of how a ghost story 
means a lot more than or at least signifies a lot more than it, it than just a, being a spooky story uh so for sure so i think um one of the more um, interesting experiences i had was again in a lot of the sort of vertical housing like again apartment complexes and i went down to this place and i was talking to them and they said oh you know the ghost's path has been interrupted and i was like what do you mean by that and they're like no the ghosts in this area used to be very calm and they just used to you know go around in like circles and like you would see them but they wouldn't interact with you because you know they were they were doing their own thing they were on their own path but after there has been so much construction in this area their path has gotten interrupted and that has made them very angry and now you know we see them coming in our way and i was like okay that's something to talk about and then i i stayed with this person for another like you know two or three hours and i was like oh how has your work changed and this person then went into this entire like you know at some point like a rant about like how you know their own workplace has gotten so much far even though they haven't moved because all this construction is obstructing their path to like otherwise their house was like a walk from where they used to work at mm-hmm. and now they're like you know now i just have to go through all these doors and all these like all these lanes and it's so dirty and it's so disgusting and like it's just such an inconvenience to do this every morning so the vocabulary that they use for the ghost two hours later was the same vocabulary they used for themselves and that and i was like okay and i mean yes. i would i mean I, i would come home and transcribe it and i'm like these these paragraphs look the same and that and that was really curious that this sense of what's happening similarly like in places where electricity isn't very well maintained you know you'd go to someone and they'd be like oh you know the ghosts keep on switching off the lights and No, it's not that the ghosts keep on switching off the lights. It's just that the contractor hasn't made sure it's good fusing. And these people know that. These people know that you know the building construction has been under par. But they're like, yeah, no, it's you know the ghosts don't like the lights because before that, you know, it was that we had a lot more natural light, and now it's just the ghosts keep on switching on and off the lights at night. So there is a sense of like you know discomfort with like this sort of like living condition, and then you're like, yeah, it's the ghosts. or being like the lifts don't work because there is like a gin inside and you're like okay let's mm-hmm. like you know like i mean i'm like yes i will take you at face value on this because it is a way for you to explain your own experience right you have someone to blame for it there's there's a lot of ghost stories that involve women is that because women are a very are very oppressed in society and and that's why there's a lot of ghost stories around women I think this would go back to you know the Freudian notion of hysteria like I mean like very honestly like it's very easy for all of us to like explain like you know just like womenly outbursts as like some sort of hysteria and in in like say for example a south asian context of women not behaving in the way she should being like you know oh my god she like left her husband she's possessed or like you know she's she's not had children she must be cursed by something Yeah, like definitely there is this sort of you know when you deviate from the norm and i think in i think the article that i wrote for brown history i do talk about how there is a lot of literature about how like the more oppressed classes of society whether it's caste sort of oppression there have been like deep ethnographic studies on how those are the people that have had more exorcisms or possessions or that sort of sort of like you know feeling of being that you are not in control of your own body what is possession but that 
so yeah i mean and of course you know the whole stories of chudels mm-hmm. are like like i mean in a lot of like these understandings chudel are chudels are women who died before giving birth to a boy child which in in of itself is quite a patriarchal notion because it doesn't just go to like oh she gave, she didn't give birth to a child which of course would be something suspicious but it's more specific it's like she didn't give birth to a boy child like her lineage didn't go forward right you know, so she didn't do her job so now she's stuck so there is there is the, definitely a lot of coding that happens you know like i remember my own grandmother telling me that you know if you leave the house after maghrib which is like after the sunset prayer never leave your hair open because like you know a jinn will catch you which is i mean which of course is the sort of you know way of like there is an element of you know body policing there or like you know you shouldn't like wear a lot of perfume when you're going out to this sort of area because you will attract something evil and more often than not it also like ties into like broader constructs of rape culture but you know it's euphemistic like you don't necessarily mean that you know a jinn is going to come and attack you you do mean that you know if you dress like that you're going to quote unquote attract the wrong kind of attention so of course the gendered element definitely plays in with women ghost stories or the ghost stories that are told to women do you find there's a difference between the the ghost stories culture in the east as to the comparing to the culture the ghost story culture of the west I mean right off the top I could say that with the east with the Pakistan India South Asia it's very incorporated in our day-to-day day-to-day daily activities and and religion and culture and it's all very intersected but with the west I think it's a little more isolated from each other No I think you're absolutely spot on with that so I did run a very small project in Oxford where we tried to do this Halloween event and I was quite excited about it to you know get to do my ghost story work so basically the way the project went in Oxford was very different from the way it would have gone in Mumbai so one of the first things that stood out to me was the fact that the ghosts at least in England I don't know about the states or Canada or any of the other global north countries the ghosts in England have stayed the same for like 5 centuries mm mm-hmm. like it is the same ghost that's been doing the same things it's like like one of the ghosts was this ghost of a woman whose husband or her lover died in a war and then she just like cries outside what used to be her house which then became a bank and is now a hotel but she's done the same thing apparently she goes to the window and she cries because you know she died of heartbreak whereas ghosts in india change they become modern So I mean one of the stories I heard was of this chudel a witch who would go to a well and try to steal children. Well now that well doesn't exist anymore there is like a really long spiraling staircase there now. So this now this chudel sits on the staircase and tempts kids with chocolates like it has gone from being a laddu like a very traditional sort of sweet to becoming a chocolate because you know the the chudel is intelligent. That's funny. Whereas, yeah, like so I'm like, our ghosts adapt because you know they're so everyday to us. Like you know, the stories change, and you know we make them more. I mean, I don't know whether we we make them more accessible to us. You know, they start fitting into our context. Like if a house, I mean, was became like a bank and then became a hotel, 
in India and it was supposed to be haunted. I'm sure, you know, the ghost would start doing things like, you know, throwing like things at the guests or like breaking mirrors or just like, you know, or like, I mean, classically, it would be like if it was a ghost of a heartbroken woman, it would like haunt the honeymoon suite mm. because it was so angry. So I'm like, like that was like the biggest thing for me that the ghosts would have not changed. They do the same thing they've been doing for 300 years. And I was, and that was, I mean, I don't have an answer as to why is that. Maybe because they're so separated. But that like, that was just like the first thing. I'm like, okay, their ghosts have like been stuck in time. Our ghosts move around. They're like, they have also modernized. They've also adapted. They also use the internet. So I'm like, yes, this, our ghosts are, that part was a joke. I mean, I'm not sure our ghosts use the internet. Have you, um, have you spoken to paranormal investigators uh, these type of characters how are they what are they like and and do you believe in their occupation i mean i think it's a gray area for me like do i believe that they believe in what they do definitely i mean i and i don't think i mean so at least like the people that i have like interacted with and have, that has been a very specific set of like urban indian paranormal researcher investigators they have a methodology. They maintain very intense case study files. They have proper sort of, you know, records. So I would say it's very different to say something like, you know, a peer Baba sitting in a Darga or a Pandit sitting in a temple trying to do exorcisms. So I say there's like, I mean, I would definitely say that there is like a difference. They have like this more sense of like Western credibility to them. And as people, they're honestly really nice genuine normal people if you met them on a day-to-day basis you wouldn't know they did something like look for ghosts and like try to clean places of paranormality on a day-to-day for like as like the daily income about the fact of whether I believe in their work I mean I say that even like in all of my interactions with them they've said that 99% of the times when someone tells us that a place is haunted there is an underlying reason behind that. That place is not really haunted. It could be something to do with the wiring. It could be something to do with the electricity. It could be something to do with, you know, psychological traumas. Mm-hmm. And I think there is merit to that approach where you ask people who believe that, you know, they've been haunted or they're possessed or like there's something going wrong to ask them to first look at all the real rational reasoning. And I think we can benefit a lot from that because the stigma that we have towards like mental health in the global South is not funny. A lot of people with very diagnosable conditions like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder get like dragged to these sort of very inhuman conditions because they're being exorcised or like you believe there's like 10 people possessing their body when this is when this is something that could be solved with medical care. Mm-hmm. So I think there is some merit to having individuals like these who are, you know, because who are on both sides of that argument. Because someone who is convinced that there's a ghost in the house is not likely to believe like a psychiatrist who comes in and be like, no, actually you need like a dosage of so-and-so medication every day for the next three years. So I think there is a lot of merit to using that. I mean, I am still on the fence myself about how much do I believe in paranormality and all. I mean, but I'm a very big advocate to like, we need to look at rational reasons first before Mm -hmm. dragging someone to like some sort of religious site and getting them cleansed of like horrors because those things go wrong and 
And like, we've had people die because of things. We've had women tortured. We've had women raped. We've had you know, children put into horrible, horrible positions that are going to traumatize them for the rest of their lives because we find it so hard to believe that mental health disorders exist. So I think it's like this sort of huge, how do we navigate it is is like going through it step by step a better way. I mean, I would say yes. Like, you know, it's about easing our own cultures into like broader understandings because they are so set in their ways. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, I think the paranormal investigators are playing an interesting role. It's not very widespread yet. And I mean, I think it remains to be seen how this one's going to go in the next few years. But it's definitely had an increase and there's more uptake again, with like films like, you know, Paranormal Activity or like mm-hmm. Conjuring and like the consumption of that has made people a lot more open to this sort of, you know, let's look at it scientifically. Is it scientific? If I say that, my university will throw me out. So no, I don't think mm-hmm. it's scientific. <laughs> that's that's the wrong word. Do I think that it is some form of research? Definitely. It's not empirical. It's not replicatable. It's not positivist. It's not something that, you know, someone in a physics department is going to call valid research, but I think it plays a role. I think it contributes somewhere. It is producing some form of knowledge. And this answer is very academic. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, okay. So we've been talking about the birth of ghost stories and how they come from kind of injustice, oppressive scenarios and from maybe something bad happened and and, and and it represents that. Would it make sense to the way to end the ghost story would be to go down to the root and give whatever injustice that was to give it justice and to maybe if someone's being oppressed to, to not oppress them anymore? Does that make sense? It does. And I mean, I'm going to give a very funny example for this, but yes. I think it's a great one. Have you seen the film Bhul Bulaya? Yeah. Um, okay. I saw it a long time ago. Uh, the story goes is that there's a woman... No, there's a Akshay Kumar is in it, of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to save the day. Um, from what I remember, there was a, it was a love story, and it was a love story. Yeah. Okay, you know what you said? I don't remember. I mean, brief, brief outline: woman comes back to India from America with her husband. They're both expats, but he's also a prince. If I'm correcting, the, if I'm remembering this correctly. They decide to live in their ancestral Haveli or their house. And this woman has like loved stories all of her life. And she has abandonment issues because she was abandoned by her parents. And then her grandmom died. And then she starts, she gets really obsessed sort of with the story of Monjalika, who was apparently a courtesan who lived in that vicinity. And her lover, the courtesan's lover was killed by the king because he wanted to be with the courtesan instead. And then she killed herself. And then the ghost haunts this. And the story at some point becomes that Vidya Balan's character gets possessed by Monjalika, but she also has bipolar disorder, I think. So, and Akshay Kumar is this weird, like, semi-psychiatrist kind of exorcist person. But anyway, that premise aside, the film, the, like, the climax part of the film involves them recreating this moment where Vidya Balan, who is like now Monjalika, like basically her, her personality is now that of the courtesan, gets to kill a dummy of the king. And that, you know, basically like completes her need for like revenge and also completes her psychological need for like, you know, reclaiming her own body. And 
that ends the possession. Now, is it? It's it's a it's a weird film. I'm not gonna say it's like peak cinema, but I think that arc that that film follows is actually a very good arc as to how we can like see the end of a possession, because the end of a possession involves with you reclaiming your own narrative. I mean, I've been reading a lot about trauma recently and about like my own experiences with how do I feel about being quote unquote like metaphorically haunted by some things from my past, and I think. a lot of the way those ghosts go away is when you give them the space and you let them do what they needed to do really it's like yeah i mean it's that sense of like you know like that inner child theory that you give your inner child a hug or you give your inner child what it was not given i think ghosts are sort of like that interesting yes i mean like i mean this is of course like this whole sort of like like i mean a bit of a personal interlude on that but i remember sitting with my therapist once and this was about 8 months ago and my father had just passed and i was talking to my therapist and i was like you know i feel like i'm haunted by my own self as a child like and i meant it in like a very dramatic sort of way because i'm a dramatic person i'm like you know i feel like a 6 year old version of me or an 8 year old version of me standing at the corner of my bed and looking at me okay my therapist was like why do you think that's the case and i went back to being like you know because there were a lot of things that i feel like that 8 year old had to see that she shouldn't have had to see and my therapist was like and how do you fix that and i was like okay maybe you know it's about me doing for myself what that 8 year old needed and for me that became a sort of a metaphoric thing about what was that at that stage what was this one thing that i wanted that had become emblematic of what i didn't have and i went and bought myself a hamley study bag i was odd it was this very odd thing that you know you're like 22 and yeah. you're walking into the store and buying yourself a study bag but it was just a sense of safety and i quote unquote stopped being haunted by myself for so, real yeah it it did feel like this that's a very small gesture though for a very yeah, big problem i mean i think because it like it represented a lot more right like, right i'm not going to go into like all the drama no 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 that. no but yeah but or like you know me not being or like me not being able to go to cemeteries in india because of like a lot of gendered sort of things i felt like i hadn't had closure to my father's death and that set me up on this whole path of like now i go and have coffees in like every cemetery i find in oxford or like in england and i think it's about letting yourself and i mean this comes from a place of privilege where i'm allowed to exercise my ghosts what about someone you know who is facing industrial oppression and you know they're not being given enough wages and they're like and they're actually like people getting hurt because not enough precautions are being taken at like some sort of factory site they don't have this privilege of like you know <laughs> embracing their inner child so i think the way our ghosts function are also a function of privilege like there are a lot of these stories of people getting burnt up in some sort of like firework factory and then you know people being like oh this place is haunted by that what is a symbolic gesture for that i think that is far more about like systemic change that how do we how do we make this place safer you know if the narrative is that to complete the cycle of justice i think a lot more of it has to be done about how do we make sure it doesn't happen again because the ghost is a warning in many places that it's about like breaking that like cycle of trauma that you know the ghost is something that returns because the trauma has been stopped So I mean in some cases you know personal cases it's 
easier, arguably easier. But when it's like just wide scale systemic fury, I mean, in a place of riots, I mean, we can't, we can't like give everyone flowers and be like, oh, now everyone's going to live in communal harmony forever. That is everyday violence. So, I mean, it's not, I think, I think, you know, like the, for me, the broader sort of umbrella is that how do we complete the cycle of trauma? How do we stop this the cycle of trauma, injustice, misery, suffering? And like, you know, that will let the ghosts go, but it's not always easy. It's not always possible. And then, you yeah. know, the ghosts become warnings that we must listen and reconcile with the past because if we, I mean, I think there's that quote, right? That if we don't understand the past, we are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very much that. That is so interesting. I don't, I don't, I think anybody listening is probably wondering, do you believe it goes like the actual ghosts, spirits? Academic answer, not relevant to my work. Personal answer, well, I mean, I'm a practicing Muslim. I have believed in jinn, jinnat, and like, you know, the other world (laughs) since I was born. I also think that if we live lives where we believe that the only things that are real are the things that we can see and experience and test, we're living boring lives. So, I mean, I like to believe in the idea of magic. I like to believe in the idea of there is more than us. And I also think it's very arrogant that if we as humans believe we're the only intelligent entities out here. I, I mean, I think, I think there's like more than what we can see. Okay. That's a very yeah. general <laughs> answer. Yeah, very diplomatic <laughs> answer. I'll take it. But, yeah. I'll take it. Um, <laughs> speaking of jinns, okay. Um, is there any... I mean, we just went really deep into 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 ghost stories and the reasons behind ghost stories and what they could represent, warnings or maybe a maybe a voice that was not heard or acknowledged. When it comes to jinns, I mean, Islamically, I don't think, from what I remember, jinns don't really have a big metaphor of something that's related to humans. It's its own thing. Or am I? Or can I guess people can use jinns as a way to? amplify to 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 cry for help to warn you know so i guess that that's where that comes in um yeah for sure i mean so again like i mean not an expert in islam but definitely i mean in islam you don't have the concept of the dead coming back so you know you cannot have a traditional sort of ghost but i mean the jinn is its own thing it's like the beings of fire and they like exist separate of the human being but i mean as people you know we are going to find vocabularies for our hauntings. And I think in a lot of Muslim neighborhoods where I would go and very often these Muslim neighborhoods would intersect with like more predominantly Hindu neighborhoods. So there would be a lot of overlap in the space. And the same story that say, but someone from a Hindu family would tell me about a ghost or like a bhut, for example, that's the word they would use in like a more practicing Muslim household, the same story would be told, but the word booth would be replaced with the word jinn. Mm -hmm. So I think the function is the same, but it's more about fitting it into your own cultural context because you're believing in as more of like, not as the dead that returns because, you know, that is not compatible with your Islamic beliefs, but you do know that there is, you want to believe there is something else here at play. So I think there is that element of just shifting the vocabulary to make it more, you know, to like limit your own cognitive dissonance to that. 
Mm-hmm. But the stories do function very similarly. I so, don't know how that. I mean, I was just going to be like, I don't know how that would play out in like a Muslim majority country. I think this is a question for my Pakistani friends. Mm-hmm. Like, but, how does it play out there? I mean, I. I mean, I think I, we've all heard jinn stories. I mean, we've all heard someone who saw, who knows someone who knows someone who saw a jinn and this and this and that and. I was wondering if someone comes up to you and says, my, you know, my, my uncle or my father or my brother saw a jinn and this is the situation. Do you look at it from like a point? Do you look at it like, what is the really, what is the real issue here? Do you look at, when you hear the story, do you go, I wonder what the root of it all is? What's the really deep psychological issue here and not the story itself? I mean, see, my instinct is that I will just listen to the story and be very invested in the narrative. But it will also depend on like what the context is. Like, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, some, I'm, okay, and this happens to me more often than not. Like, you know, like the minute someone finds out about my research work, they will just like go into a spiel about all the ghost stories they've heard. And so like, I'm not always out there with like, you know, my notebook and like making notes. So more often than not, I will just enjoy it as a normal person would. If I'm on a project and if I'm talking to someone very specifically, for that research project, then, you know, I will take the story as is. My analysis happens after hours. The analysis will happen only after the collection of every single piece of data. Like, I mean, I, I think it's like very important to like, if you're, if you're conducting an interview with someone, it's very important to respect what they are telling you and listen to them as is, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, because I mean, if I were to start being like, oh, this, that, and the other, I'm not listening to them anymore. I am only going to listen to the parts of the story that work for my hypothesis. So I will very often just like record the entire thing, go back home. And this is not in a social setting. This is an academic setting. Make And then like, you know, at the end of my project, transcribe everything and then be like, okay, how do we see the parables? Are these paragraphs looking the same? Did this word come up more often than not? And then it's a very tedious, boring activity that takes like, six, seven hours and me like hating myself and still, why do I choose to do this? In a social setting, if it's at a dinner party, you know, I'll be like, oh yeah, and I heard this story or like this one I know. Then it just becomes like, you know, something that's casual. Though I've had these very, very peculiar sort of messages on occasion, I'll be often on Instagram Mm -hmm. where someone will be like, listen, I think I'm seeing a ghost. I'm haunted or like, you know, there's something in my house. Can you help me? And I'll be like, dude, no. God, this is not what I do. I'm like, I wish I was that interesting, but that is not my skill set. I'm like, I am an academic, I'm a researcher, and I don't investigate, you know, the paranormal. And then they'll be like, Do you know someone? And I'll be like, Yes, but I'm not going to share the numbers because then it's putting me in this very weird position of like, you know, becoming some sort of intermediary paranormal investigator. And I really try to distance myself from that. Because, you know, it's a slippery slope, you know, one day, you know, you're talking and you're being the sort of theorizing modernity and the next day you're standing in some sort of like house with like a sage stick. And I'm like, that's not the transition I want to make. You know, India has, India, Pakistan, you know, they're all been colonized by the British for a very long time. And I was just watching this Netflix show called Betal, which had like British, British soldiers, zombies that were British soldiers back in the day. Are there any ghost stories that relate to colonialism? I guess it's all rooted to colonialism since all of history of India is connected to colonialism in a sense. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, most race courses, most race courses have ghosts of like British horses 
which is a very very bizarre really race uh, race courses in india have ghost yeah, stories yeah which is a very bizarre one i think that has to do with the fact that it's probably one of the most explicit colonial sites that are still functioning that they still call you know royal turf clubs only if the queen has visited them wow so they have like these sort of like you know the british ghosts in india i mean there is a british ghost definitely according to stories at the mahalakshmi race course in india there is also there are also a lot of prostitute ghosts that are foreigners when it comes to the kamakhipura complex i mean also like you know the whole that the whole complex that was shown in the film gangubai there are there is like a lot of stories because a lot of people would bring sex workers across borders and then you know they would die in india which was a foreign land to them mm-hmm. and this is not just like white women this is also like a lot of japanese women there's a whole japanese cemetery in mumbai which is one of the sites i'm the most fascinated by because a lot of people are like yeah it's a very haunted site and there's a lot of ghosts there because you know the unmarked graves of these women who were bought here as like second wives and then the businessmen who they came with would leave and mm-hmm. go back to their families but these women died on foreign land never able to go back and then most of the japanese population left during the world war so the, this is an unused like this this graveyard hasn't been in use for a very long time so i think that just like that the poignancy of that story of what does it mean to be a, a woman with no agency coming to a foreign land physically exploited and then buried in a place with no one to pray over you and i mean i'm just like that is like this very like like it's 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 just like yeah it brings you like to this moment of if a place is haunted perhaps it is by you know this like deep deep grief of death that aren't even remembered and i mean that's that's just like one of the sites that i always am like you know like just like geopolitically it's so strange that a war happens in another part and then this entire community just leaves but what about their dead and i think in calcutta you have the um, what's uh, the south park graveyard the south park cemetery which is a cemetery of east india company workers and it's 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 a beautiful cemetery but and like a lot of like there's a lot of stories of it being haunted and if you even if you go to that east the east india from the company cemetery i mean i was just looking at the gravestones most of the graves that have bodies in them a lot of them are memorial sites are actually graves to women because a lot of men died at sea or died at like war or like died in another part of the country so their bodies were never retrieved mm-hmm. so i think like a lot of the and it's and it's interesting right because i'm like do i want to feel bad for the east india company i'm like the human instinct is to you know want to grieve anyone who's not been grieved but then you're like but what about like the years and years and like present day misery that comes along with what happened with colonialism so i think there is that intersection of what do we do with the colonial ghost do we feel bad for it oh i mean yes it's it's that that definitely there are these very peculiar sites that are are so deeply tied with colonialism and just the external influence that has happened on the subcontinent what about partition are there any ghost stories do you know that link to that not any that come to my mind but i think i think with partition it's also something that's still very fresh there right? 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's something that's still very new. And I do know a friend of mine who is working on this sort of oral history library about stories across the border. But I think when we very often when people talk about the partition, they very much talk about the lived experience of it. Right. But I mean, I have I have not had a chance. I mean, I think it would be a very interesting thing to look at, and I'm sure I would do it. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, now I'm going to make a note of this and be like, what's happening at the borders? But it, I think there would definitely be a lot to look into that, like whether that violence has actually given us stories of ghosts or like, are we treating it as something that was very lived and very haunting for in a very everyday manner? I mean, that was deeply violent in a, yeah, like probably like yeah. the most violent thing to happen on those borders. And to conclude it, I would say that if a location or a city has more, the more ghost stories it has, the more stories of of spirits and jinns, the more it's been through a lot, the more the people have been through a lot. Yes. It has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with if the schools are better or IQ is higher or not. It just means that it's a city that's going that has been through a lot and and is going through a lot. Yeah, I think it I think it's like, you know, the the diversity of suffering spawns ghosts. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there was this really, like, really, like, it was a bad in, inner joke between me and another researcher who works on paranormality in Victorian context. And we were like, you know, we need to, like, ghost, repre- ghost representation needs to be a thing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you know, a lot of times when we talk about ghosts, we do talk about a very particular brand of paranormality, but the more... I mean, I all cities are haunted. The mm-hmm. more, the more like you know, un, undefined, unclosed, raw deaths. The more raw wounds there, the more history has a space to return. And the less we learn from history, the more we're gonna see ghosts. And I think that's like you know my little subtle warning that you know. They're in a time that's going to produce a lot of ghosts. And I don't know if we want to be doing these exorcisms like 50 years from now. Like, But yeah. My last question is, can you tell us about any projects you're working on or future projects you're working on related to your ghost research? I have a fair bit of publications coming out this year, which is very exciting. I want to, like my longest running project on slum rehabilitation sites and paranormality in Mumbai should be out sometime 2022. I have I have recently had an article on the pandemic and ghosts come out in the Economic and Political Weekly. If anyone wants to read that one, it's behind a paywall, but I would just reach out to me. I'm allowed to share a copy. I would be very happy to share a copy. Mm-hmm. And I am trying to work on building hopefully a book out of all of this and that's the long-term project I'm working on I am also working on a project on the Calcutta cemeteries so I will be writing that and hopefully sharing it with Brown History nice but yeah we're working on that so lots of ghost things are in the works and inshallah we see a book at the end of hopefully the next uh, year or two I hope so that'll be pretty but that's cool. the long-term project the the ghost book doesn't have a title so open to recommendations if anyone wants to <laughs> awesome uh, thank you so much this was great i think we have an hour now we're good to go thank you so much uh, yeah this was i'm really just gonna fun to do.